a Bitcoin. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about this amazing podcast I just had with my man, Cal Casa. Cal and I have known each other for a long time, well before Bitcoin, and it has been absolutely awesome seeing him make an amazing splash, an amazing entrance into the Bitcoin community. Cal is doing an enormous amount to spread Bitcoin adoption in Ethiopia, in Africa, and to the people who need it most. He's calling out corruption. He has been and lived in Ethiopia, but now is in the U.S. and has the opportunity to have a more defendable position in order to call out the corruption in Ethiopia and call on the people there to adopt Bitcoin. He has helped over a thousand people adopt Bitcoin and he's trying to take it to take it to thousand beyond. He has a long-term perspective on Bitcoin in Ethiopia and he is doing his best from Austin, Texas to make it happen. It is amazing to see Bitcoin just revolutionize the world in this distributed way and seeing Cal being able to use Bitcoin and the Lightning Network to do it. I think you guys are really, really gonna enjoy this podcast with Cal Casa. Let's get into it. Bitcoiners, I'm really excited to introduce you to my man, my brother, Cal Casa, a guy that I've known for a long time, respected for a long time. And it's been amazing to see him just jump into the Bitcoin space and make such an amazing splash kind of all of a sudden. Honestly, I think after the listeners get to know you after this podcast, they'll kind of know why you were able to make such a big splash and such a big impact. But Cal, welcome to Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, Christian. You're very, very kind. And I look up to you, of course, as your position within the whole Bitcoin world. So thank you for having me on and yeah, I look forward to it. So I don't think a lot of people know that you're one of those people. And there's several people at this point from college days, high school days that are making moves in Bitcoin. So Cal and I are fraternity brothers from college. We don't have to talk about which college or whatever, but we go way back. And I think it was sophomore year that I met Cal. So one of the most incredible things about Cal is like, you were always not afraid to kind of just be yourself and do your thing. And part of that was going to Ethiopia after you graduated and doing something a little bit more radical than the average person that we hung out with. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself and your story from college to Ethiopia and what happened then? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy because I don't remember exactly where. I think we were meeting up in San Jose at some point and we were at a, either a Starbucks or a Whole Foods and just like hanging out and talking. And I think you and I were one of those people that were Bitcoiners before we were Bitcoiners, like the way we lived our lives and the way we looked at things. It was like very value oriented, you know. And I remember at that time, I think you were just joining the Chapman community and all of that. And I was kind of on my way out and I was just kind of saying, well, you're right. All of this tech work seems very, I hate to say it, but like boring. It just didn't seem appealing, right? Going from a certain amount of zeros to another certain amount of zeros. And so it was like at that time, 2013 or so, when I was just like, you know, I'm probably going to dip, go to a more fresh country and really try to do things from like the ground up. So I think, uh, yeah, 2013 is, is when I left, when I went to Ethiopia and a small time gig turned into a bigger kind of opportunity with a, an advisory firm. 
And so, yeah, I mean, Ethiopia was fun and it was also jumping into like a socialist reality because if we're afraid of our governments here in America, it's actually outsized in Ethiopia. So, you know, the tax rates are higher. The government owns more. So it's really going into like kind of your worst nightmare of like, you know, kind of state led economy. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a great way to spend my 20s. Right. And now I'm back here and, and you know, I'm a Bitcoiner. And so it just it only makes sense. So talk about how Ethiopia helped you see Bitcoin and you becoming a Bitcoiner. So let's just say I never left. And, you know, 2013, I, I stuck around here. And then worked in San Francisco or New York, what have you. I probably would have, you know, it's kind of like a frog, right, in hot water. As the temperature slowly increases, the frog might not feel the heat, right, and will eventually die, right? But if you're thrown into a cold situation and then back into a hot situation, you can see the difference, right? And so I saw in Ethiopia a really inflationary environment. A place where you know inflation is not two percent or five percent or ten percent; it's twenty or thirty percent, right? And I saw almost everything occur in the black market, and really corrupt, high-level, let's say, state actors in Ethiopia steal from the government, right? And so, like, I saw this with my own eyes. So, what happens is you lose trust in your state very quickly when you're in a poorer country like Ethiopia. Right. In the United States, I might have been fooled for a little bit longer, right? That DC or or the Fed or the central banks had my interests at heart. But in Ethiopia, you can clearly see that your interests are not aligned with them and they are the various actors. So I've become more and more sovereign, if you will, by virtue of me just having lived in Ethiopia. I know part of that was you had to make an escape from Ethiopia during the COVID pandemic, and now you are no longer in Ethiopia. You're actually back in the States. Walk us through that and what that meant for, you know, you and Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I wouldn't say escape. I would just say that I left, you know, like, thankfully, I was able to, like, escape the way I I did. But a lot of my friends, they have Ethiopian passports, right? So they weren't able to get on a flight. They weren't able to, to hop on a plane. So for me, it was, okay, there was a, a kind of an assassination on, I think it was June the 30th. And then from there, they cut out the internet. And then the light was quite poor, like the electricity grid, because it was rainy season. And already, we're not getting out of our houses. We're in lockdown, right? Already, we've kind of been selled up. So I was like, on the fifth day, I got to make moves. You know, I, I came out to uh, Texas. And it was only supposed to be like a short-term thing. So I only brought my backpack and, and a few other things. But, you know, it's ended up being into one. I've fallen deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole of, of Bitcoin and value and storing value. And I use it and I teach about it and all of that now. But also it's like, yeah. So this year has been extremely unexpected. And I think me leaving Ethiopia was a great thing just for my own development. And hopefully I can go back. I hope to be considered a kind of a champion of financial inclusion and not a threat or an illicit or like criminal actor. But if they do consider me as criminal, like I'm fine to wear that burden as well. I mean, because God knows they're criminal, right? So it's only fair. So yeah, I think being here, being surrounded by the Bitcoin community, Austin is like 
amazing, you know, the people there, like very eager to like share what they know and help you learn and all of that. So yeah, escaping Ethiopia was the best thing that's ever happened to me, but hopefully I'll go back. <laughs> awesome. So I want to dive a little bit more into like your Bitcoin journey. Obviously, Ethiopia showed you the need for Bitcoin a lot more. You kind of gave the frog in the water analogy. But on the flip side, you know, a lot of people who haven't fully taken the orange pill, you know, they'll trade other assets. They see all these crypto things on the spectrum of crypto assets and whatever. I know that you'd been holding ETH and made some money in ETH and other altcoins potentially. But at some point you were like, no, it's about Bitcoin. This is the only thing that matters. And you kind of exited those positions. Can you talk about like the need for Bitcoin and why Bitcoin only? Why does that resonate with you so strongly? Absolutely. So you're right. I mean, for a better part of like half my Bitcoin journey, Ethereum and all of these other coins were involved, right? And normally it was because you got to imagine my entry was not store of value, but medium of exchange, right? So I actually had people sending things in wallets that I didn't know what they were, right? It was just kind of like somebody said, hey, I'm going to pay you in this. And it's like a small amount even then. And then during, especially late 2020, all of those prices went up, right? Bitcoin went up, Ethereum went up. And so I was like, okay, what's going on here, right? Because what was a few dollars turned into more. And so that's when I really started like diving deeper. So early 2021 is when I really started asking myself, okay, what is Bitcoin in relation to everything else, right? And really like going as high as I can, right? I mean, the Vitalik's and whatnot, they're quite unreachable, but you know, there are some very prominent Ethereum leaders that you and I know, and kind of going to battle with these questions of, okay, what's open source and what's not, what's centralized and what's not, what's proof of work, what's proof of stake, getting on Twitter spaces and some of the discussions, I quickly realized that Cardano was a scam. You know, there's no better way to say it. There's no better language. Cardano is a scam, you know? So the moment I realized that and I was able to verify it, confirm it, I was like, all right, let me like start talking about it. Let me start talking shit. So April, I published a shitcoin millionaire. And then from there, just kind of spiraled. But yeah, it was kind of like me seeing a gross crime and alerting the authorities about it. And then the authorities not really caring, right? Because what's it to them? So so, Let me yeah. jump in real quick, Cal. So you kind of yeah. jumped the gun a little bit. I know that you have been a big part of things in Ethiopia. You, I guess, even kind of being American educated, had a privilege of going into this like credentialized world to be close to top bankers, political officials in Ethiopia. And you saw Charles Hoskins and Hoskinson or whatever his name is, and the folks around Cardano in Ethiopia doing their work, you know, amongst the leadership and the government in Ethiopia and Ethiopia kind of partnering with Cardano. Why don't you give the background about like what happened in Ethiopia and Cardano and in particular, and maybe how that like really kind of radicalized you towards being more Bitcoin maximalist and speaking out? Yeah. So you got to imagine in 2018, when Charles Hoskinson came to Ethiopia, and I'm not quite certain if he was invited or if, if he invited himself, but you know there was kind of a lot of ceremony behind it. There were a lot of conference room discussions, right? Him on a stage, him visiting this company or that startup, 
and him kind of signing different partnerships, right? MOU with the Ministry of Science and Technology and now the Ministry of Education. And, you know, some of the people in those rooms, they're like, who is this guy, right? He comes in with like flip-flops and shorts, right? And completely like disrespectful of the space, in my opinion, right? But he took center stage and he talks about this blockchain, right? And this need for it. And in the meantime, in the audience, you have really smart, accomplished people that can do that very well on any kind of Microsoft ION or, you know, similar kind of, I think India has like a QR strategy in place. And then there's the ethics of it all. Like, do you want your data captured by a German or an American or an Australian third party? Like, no, right? As, as a government, you don't want that. And as a people, you don't want that, right? In many, many Orwellian ways of, of how that will go wrong because you can't protect the, the passwords and such. And there's data manipulation that goes on. So when he came in in 2018, we were a little perplexed, but it was also like a learning opportunity for us because we knew very little about, maybe I should speak for myself, but I knew very little. So I didn't know how to advise my clients around it. I had clients calling me asking, hey, what's Cardano? Have you heard of blockchain? Can I get on it, right? And so I was like, look guys, I, I don't know what to tell you. Let me like learn about it, right? Three years goes by, one vaporware turns into another, nothing was accomplished, nothing was done. And of course, once I had a little bit of evidence, I was able to uh, publish, publish on, you know, your medium, publish on others. So, yeah, and, and my relationship to that is purely from a private sector, right? But I, of course, have friends that work in this office and the other. And it seems like a lot of them are on my side. They understand why it's important to rid Ethiopia of these kind of cyber thieves and criminals, but they can't quite say it because they're right there next to him, right? Or next to the cantillion, if you will, right? But me, I'm in Austin. I don't know if I can curse on this program, but I'm free as I can be. So I can say exactly what's on my mind and they can't really get to me here, right? So... Yeah, Charles has blocked me on Twitter, but that's the extent of him capturing my freedom of speech. All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Maurizio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all, I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into Ledin interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% on USDC deposits. I mean, I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in. They leverage it up and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full 
proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the letting guys, they know what Bitcoiners like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N.io and learn more. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about the deep dive. The deep dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium market intelligence newsletter. This is a no fluff, hard hitting, incredible newsletter going deep into the market, helping you understand what's happening with derivatives, what's happening on chain, what's happening in macro, what's happening with the narrative and what's happening with the tech. My man, Dylan LeClaire is an absolute savant. He is making his name known in the Bitcoin community, getting shout outs left and right, getting on podcasts left and right. And him and his team are bringing you everything that you need to know about Bitcoin. You don't even have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You can ignore every other newsletter. This is the newsletter to rule them all. Go over to members.bitcoinmagazine.com. Sign up today. And if you use promo code MACRO, you get a full month for free. You have nothing to lose. What are you waiting for? Sign up, see the incredible work that Dylan and his team are putting out. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. You don't pay a dime. But if you do, you know, it's going to be well worth the sats in investment in understanding Bitcoin and gaining the confidence to continue to invest in Bitcoin and making the right moves around Bitcoin. And it's going to be well worth every single Satoshi. Again, can't recommend it enough. That is members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code MACRO. Do it today. Yeah, and I mean, just to kind of give a little bit more context, really what Cal has unveiled through his article, Shitcoin Millionaire, is that Charles Hodgkin and the Cardano scam, they don't have a money problem. They printed a lot of tokens already, right? Like they have this multi-billion dollar network where they pre-mine the hell out of it and they have all the tokens, right? But what they're lacking is credibility. So what the scam is, is not to like scam you out of money, it's to like essentially leverage and abuse Ethiopia and the leadership in Ethiopia in order to gain credibility. And like, we're seeing the scam work really well because like Cardano's pumping, it's on all the major exchanges. Like people think like they're doing something, but Cal has witnessed over three years of just like vaporware promises and even bad ideas around putting identity on the blockchain and whatever. Again, something that a sovereign nation and citizens probably don't want to do, shouldn't be doing. It's a bad idea. It doesn't help people. But yet, Charles is benefiting from it, right? And his token is pumping and he's getting rich, right? Because he's gaming out credibility, which is kind of what you've exposed. I don't even really want to talk about that, though, because ultimately, like, I want to talk about, like, why is Bitcoin actually there for Ethiopian people? Why is it actually being used? And, like, why is Bitcoin only so important? Absolutely. So, Bitcoin only is so important because. So in the Amharic language, Bitcoin Bitcha, right? So that's, I play around with different brands and that's the brand that I want to use to kind of like tell people, look, if you want to store your value and if you want an honest medium of exchange and what in the future we'll see as a proper unit of account, you're going to be using Bitcoin, right? Because it is purely the best in terms of all comparables. In terms of, you know, is gold better, is silver better, is this bullion or this currency or this state-backed CBD or this Ethereum AWS dumpster fire, if you will, are those better stores of value? 
So you, you only have to ask yourself. The answer is no. And if you start to speculate on, oh, well, this can get better or this just pumped 200% in value, at that point, you're playing a roulette wheel, right? Or you're gambling in a casino, which is fine. Like I believe in having freedoms. So if somebody wants to leverage and go into a casino, that's fine. That's their choice. But for the people that I respect and for the country and the citizens that I really want to see store value in the future, I'm going to say, don't look at this as some sort of parallel market or black market or crime. Look at this as retaining your value. Governments can do that. People can do that. And so when you look at the way it's decentralized and how it's open source and what that really, really means for very poor countries like El Salvador and Cuba, right? And uh, I shouldn't say poor, but they haven't been favorably financed by the IMF, right? Their inflation rates are through the roof because of what happens at, at different centralized banks and such. So for an American, I might say, you know what, you want to go to the casino every Monday, like, dude. I could care less, right? But for Ethiopians, I'm really trying to champion that there's an honest way to save value and that they should learn about it. I think that was a really good pitch again. Can you talk a little bit about the Ethiopian acceptance of Bitcoin and what that looks like today and maybe some of the work that you're doing to push that forward? So the acceptance right now, as I have counted it, right, stands at around a thousand participants in the Lightning Network, right? So a thousand people in East Africa, because, you know, you have Eritrea and, and Ethiopians kind of living in, in the neighbors and trade relations is going to be an important thing here. But about a thousand people have latched onto Lightning, understand how it works, can send and see the receive sats. Now, I would assume that if I were to teach a thousand people, like what we've seen on Telegram and such, they will then share this amongst their counterparts. So hopefully there's a multiplier and kind of exponential growth. And the idea is to teach 10,000, right, by this time next year. So in terms of government policy regulation, they've studied it a little bit at Commercial Bank of Ethiopia, but they haven't really gone into any actions or any movement. They've just kind of researched it. And so, yeah, right now it's just, I would say it's stalled beyond any educational components like trading or exchanging Bitcoin for dollar and Ethiopian burn, all of that is technically illegal in Ethiopia. So I don't even advise people to work with large amounts of money if they're, I don't know, well, everybody has their own kind of sovereign approach to things. But I always tell people to remain legal just to cover my own interests, if you will. But yeah, learn, learn as, as much as possible about Bitcoin. You know, we're behind Nigeria for sure. What's been done in Nigeria I'll be very honest here. I mean, it's tenfold, if not hundredfold, what's been done in Ethiopia. But that just means we have a huge kind of runway to learn. And then it's kind of like a tipping point, right? So that the moment you have a few government politicians and religious leaders and X, Y, and Z adopted into a store of value, then the tipping point is clear. And then at that point, there's no going back, right? So yeah, it's slow. It's up and coming. Yeah, but we all have low time preference code. So we're we're patiently waiting. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin gives you low time preference for sure. And I feel like you've always had kind of low time preference. You've had that essence about you as long as I've known you. But 
Let's talk a little bit more about Africa in general. So you made the comparison to Nigeria. There was amazing videos earlier this year of Nigerian politicians saying that Bitcoin has made their currency useless and they can't stop it. Just talk about like maybe compare and contrast, talk about African crypto and Bitcoin adoption in general and what the bigger picture looks like. Sure. I mean, it's extremely amusing almost because Ethiopia yesterday and Nigeria yesterday and a lot of these countries that in Sub-Sahara for reasons related to the way history has played with the monetary value of people in poor countries. So, you know, the best source on this is Alex Gladstein. And I think he's organizing something in Miami, like in like three, four weeks, Oslo, the Freedom Forum. So he looks at various countries around the world, and he's published several articles on Bitcoin Magazine related to this, but it's how countries can leapfrog, right? So yesterday, Ethiopia was in a position where its debts in USD were continually outpacing any growth. The inflation was outpacing any kind of household income that was increasing. So in real terms, they're making less. And so Alex Gladstein really captures it well, looking at countries like Cuba too, and saying, you know what, not only the capitalists are using it, but the socialists are using it. And then Nigeria is not too far from that. If you look at their even very recent history, their monetary policy has been perverse. Their social policy has been very violent, right? And Bitcoin is the best defense to that, right? It's kind of like the gold adage back in the day, which is, You buy a little bit of gold and you hope it never goes up, right? And I I feel like that was kind of my, you know, as I was slowly stacking earlier this year, it was kind of like, I hope this thing doesn't go up, you know, because what that really means is a lot of the legacy that you and I had kind of were educated in is built on pretext, right? And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing systems upon systems collapse in front of our eyes, interest rates be manipulated, inflation be manipulated, overprinting, and I don't think we can stress that enough. And what's happening in the United States is multiplied in poor countries like you know Nigeria and Ethiopia. So we're in this dilemma and Bitcoin is that solution. And I think we've concluded on that from many perspectives that Bitcoin is the solution here. So yeah, that's how Ethiopia leapfrogs and sits next to Norway as a leading power. Like, I'm not mincing my words here. If Ethiopia can mine efficiently and not be so damn corrupt, it could reach Norway status in a handful of years, right? So I've said this as loudly as I can directly to people in power. I'll be writing letters soon, like personal letters with my signature, and then they can keep kicking the can down the street. So we'll see what happens. Bitcoiners, I am so excited to tell you about the Bitcoin 2022 conference. You guys, Bitcoin 2021 was absolutely a smash hit success. It was over 13,000 Bitcoiners coming together, breaking the barriers on who can come together and celebrate freedom, celebrate Bitcoin, and the energy was absolutely electric. Unfortunately, it was just oversubscribed. There's just people flowing out everywhere. And this year we are learning, we are making the conference bigger and better. We are moving over to the Miami Beach Convention Center, and we are going to be throwing a massive four-day festival for Bitcoin, celebrating Bitcoin, bringing together the greatest minds in Bitcoin. And 
the greatest businesses in Bitcoin, and lastly, the culture of Bitcoin altogether. We have a four-day extravaganza planned for you guys for Bitcoin 2022. Day one is going to be industry day. It is a day where you can buy a special ticket in order to just mingle and make business deals happen. Day two and three is going to be a full-blown Bitcoin conference. This is our main conference. This is going to be on April 7th and 8th. And then lastly, we have the Sound Music Festival day four. Imagine going to Coachella, but for Bitcoin. There's going to be very few talks. It's going to be all about the culture of Bitcoin. It's going to be all about hanging with your fellow plebs. It is going to be an absolutely amazing time. There's going to be Bitcoin musicians, Bitcoin artists, and all your favorite Bitcoiners and just an amazing environment to party and just see it all, soak it all in, and to get people to realize that a Bitcoin world, a world filled with Bitcoin people doing Bitcoin things is the world that they want to live in. That's what Bitcoin 2022 is all about. That is what the Bitcoin conference is all about. That's what Bitcoin Magazine is all about. So it is going to be a celebration of Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, and this amazing movement that is going to make the world a better place. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Learn more about the Bitcoin conference. Learn more about all the amazing things that are happening in Miami around the Bitcoin conference and buy your tickets. And guess what? If you buy your bit tickets with Bitcoin, you save $100 on all the tickets and $1,000 on the whale pass. So if you want the VIP pass, the, the big kahuna, if you buy with Bitcoin, you save $1,000. That's a lot of stats. So Go and do it right now today. Don't wait. Prices are only going up. This is going to be a can't miss event. Before we get back to the episode, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin Magazine is the oldest publication covering Bitcoin, and we've been covering Bitcoin since 2012. Y'all, I'm so proud to be working for Bitcoin Magazine. We spend all day trying to scour the internet for the top news, the top plebs, the top subjects, conversations, everything that has to do with BTC, the asset, BTC, the culture, BTC, the revolution. We are here for it. We are here for BTC and BTC only. And we want to give back to the Bitcoin community. Hit us up if you want to contribute. And uh, yeah, go follow us on Twitter. Go uh, subscribe to this podcast. Go follow us on YouTube. All of the places that you can find Bitcoin Magazine, we are there. Instagram, Reddit, everywhere. We're there. We're there. Follow us for the best Bitcoin knowledge. Back to the episode. Yeah, well, I mean, you were a part of one of Alex's most amazing articles, in my opinion, on Bitcoin Magazine, which was Check Your Financial Privilege, where he told the story of three different people living in three different underbanked, underprivileged and abused countries including yourself and your story about Ethiopia. But you also published an awesome article kind of calling on the government of Ethiopia and the people of Ethiopia to adopt Bitcoin and all the benefits. It's titled The Marathon. It'll be in the show notes. Do you want to talk about like your message in that article and then how you see things shaking out with Bitcoin adoption in Ethiopia and your vision there with these personal letters and kind of taking advantage of your benefited role consulting in the capital city for all those years? Absolutely. absolutely. So, I mean, that article, I've been able to kind of capture a lot of my thoughts there, the marathon. And yeah, it's written from an Ethiopian perspective. And it's kind of like I'm yelling the entire time. So, you know, I start off talking about the state, right? And talking about CBCDs or central bank uh, digital currencies, right? And how 
they already exist in Ethiopia under the name Telebr, right? It's kind of a telecom credit similar to uh, M-Pesa. And so I talk about that and then I kind of attack because really it's a question of do we want the state managing everything and anything, right? And so the answer for me is no. And if that is your conclusion, then why does Bitcoin work as a beautiful alternative? And then why does Bitcoin work as a standard? So I'm kind of easing the Ethiopian populace into this idea. But the main idea is that Bitcoin is, is a better store of value and it's only a matter of time. And the question of, of Bitcoin and Ethiopia is one of, I use the analogy, like the metaphor of a marathon, because one, you have Hal Finney, right? He, he's, he's kind of the amazing troop or the dedicated leader in this, you know, unfortunately passed and, you know, is credited with working with Satoshi a great deal in those early years. But it's the idea that life is a marathon and, you know, so is this kind of Bitcoin adoption. It's going to take time. It, we're never going to fully see it complete, right? I mean, 2140 is when this mining cycle will stop and the halving kind of cycles will stop. So none of us will live long enough to see the end of this, right? So we'll never complete the marathon either. But Ethiopians, of course, are great marathon runners. So I kind of try to build all of that into story and relate it to our culture that Ethiopians so it's, it's very funny. I had a friend of mine in Ethiopia say to me once, Ethiopians think in century and millennia, which is to say, like, you guys are slow. You know, you guys take your time. You know, you guys don't do anything within months or years. You guys really take a century long approach to everything you do. And that's quite true. So we have to really change our culture and be completely low time preference, and then adoption will happen overnight if we tap into those cultural elements that Bitcoin is here for the long haul, and Bitcoin will last longer than any of these states and any of these, let's say, corrupt leaders. Because I can name to you two or three people in very high positions at Cardano or different bureaucracies and agencies, and they won't be there in a year or two, right? Just that's how turnover works in, in the private sector. But Bitcoin will be around and the mining and the halving uh, will be around until the year 2140. So that's just an, such an amazing thing for me to see like this mycelium network grow and outpace us. And so, yeah, I just kind of felt the need to, to keep sharing that. So thank you, Bitcoin Magazine, for allowing me to publish that. Yeah, man, of course. And I hope that we can publish more of what you do. And even some of these letters that you send sounds interesting. Sounds like they could be interesting for Bitcoin Magazine, depending on the context. When you're calling the Ethiopian people and the Ethiopian government, there are particular people that you've been denouncing that kind of bad actors, people who are taking advantage of the system, taking advantage of the people in coordination with Cardano and others. Do you just want to talk about like that corruption and then your hope for Bitcoin enabling Ethiopia and Ethiopia's people to graduate beyond that? Absolutely. So I'll say a lot of this work, of course, it comes from an Ethiopian perspective when it comes from me, but it's already been written about and cited, you know, very well. Corey, I think it's Klippenstein, uh, Klippenson. Corey Klippenson. was Yes, yes. So he tweeted something yesterday from out of ether. And he was talking about Charles Hoskin 
and his character, uh, working with Vitalik and, and some of these other characters, and the extremely bad character that they perceived from him, right? And this is in those days when Cardano was just coming into existence and Charles was leaving Ethereum. And so I look at that baggage, right? And I, I go, look, these are the type of people that ministers from my country want to work with, right? And so when the history books are written, and they'll be written soon. Like there, you know, we've seen the books at the different conferences and meetups. Like there are some really good books with some great history in them, right? So as these things kind of compile, I really don't want Ethiopian ministers to have a corrupted history of themselves, right? So I'm like begging them, look, I'll be okay, right? Bitcoiners will be okay. Like we've developed something that's very open source and free, right? But once Charles's reputation tanks, because Charles is not 60 years old, like he, you know, I think page 166 of Out of Ether, they were kind of going into his little disguises that he pulls, like, oh, I'm part of the CIA and X, Y, and Z. And yeah, he's 33 years old, right? He's as young as me. So we'll be around for a while. I'll be around for a while too. So it's going to be a hell of a career that he's mapped out for himself because he will always be known as a scammer and as a shitcoiner. And I don't want that reputation to come into Ethiopia. I want Ethiopia to be known as a place for honest work in the cyber world and honest value in the Bitcoin world. And, you know, the government can adopt to that as they will and as they should. But Cardano will never be a part of that conversation. Yeah, it's been great having you on the pod. <laughs> I guess let's talk a little bit about like, let's get cosmic before we close it out. But how has Bitcoin changed you, man? I mean, like you said, maybe me and you were very predisposed to Bitcoin, but it's impossible not to kind of get shaped by this community. And being in Austin, you're around a lot of Bitcoiners all the time. As soon as I heard you were into Bitcoin in Austin, I was like, you need to know Parker Lewis. And I like <laughs> made that happen. But talk about just this last year and, and interacting with Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. Absolutely. So one, you know, the Bitcoin community has been extremely helpful, right? Because the moment they learn where your perspective is and where you're coming from, it's like that mycelium network, right? So I watched that Netflix thing the other day. And so it's like stuck in my head, but the way these, these networks grow, they actually end up growing into, you know, the largest organisms that we can see, right? And of course, you know, mushrooms fruit from that. And then the spores kind of travel a long distance and all this. I'm like, oh my God, this is what Bitcoin is. <laughs> like, uh, and I think it's a Brandon, I'm forgetting his last name, but he wrote but, about um, this too. Oh yeah. Exactly. He, Amazing he articles. Yeah, he was in Austin the other day and I didn't get a chance to see him, but his understanding of the mycelium network is so right on to Bitcoin, you know, and how it allows each node to be independent and to set its own fees and to do its own thing. And as long as the consensus works, then the blocks keep going. And so block by block, as we see this thing numbering off, it's almost like we're seeing a collective mycelium network grow into a financial, social and political network and that network is completely free and if you kill off a little portion the other portions grow just as strong so you know because the death kind of leads into the rebirth right and so as you have these fiat state-led currencies die bitcoin will grow yeah i love the mycelium network analogy i think i like <laughs> 
Brandon had less than a thousand followers at the time he dropped that. I immediately retweeted it and followed him. You know, it's been amazing to get to become his friend. So he's an amazing guy and it's an amazing, amazing analogy. Bitcoin's kind of like this like collective consciousness. And I love the idea, you know, you talked about Bitcoin is a PPE system, a political, philosophical, economic system. Hass McCook drives a lot of great knowledge and understanding around that, just breaking down what aligns Bitcoiners. When you adopt Bitcoin, it kind of changes you because it aligns you with that. When you fully adopt Bitcoin, accept that, hey, Bitcoin is the best money ever. If Bitcoin can maintain it a perfect monetary policy of 21 million Bitcoins, it will become the world reserve currency. You know, if you have that belief and understanding, then you kind of align with this PPE stack of beliefs that and ways to operate that Bitcoin gives you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm humbled to be a part of it. And so I look forward to kind of learning and, and strengthening more and I'll, I'll drop a new article. So I'll share it with you. Just kind of wrapping it up, but um, you'll equally enjoy that one. All right. Well, depending on when this podcast gets out, maybe uh, we'll add that to the show notes as well. Cal, what's your final words to uh, the Bitcoin magazine audience? Well, thank you for looking into Ethiopia and supporting Ethiopia. And yeah, I mean, uh, I think Ethiopia, like any country, will have its adoption. And, you know, I look forward to growing the network with you guys. Awesome. And where can people learn more, man, other than on Bitcoin Magazine and on your medium? Where can people find you? Twitter, Twitter at Cal Casa. That's the best way to reach me. I'll normally respond within a day and I'll try to be nice, but maybe I'll be mean. So it just depends on what day you catch me. (laughs) All right, man. Well, like I said multiple times, it's been great seeing you come into the Bitcoin community and I'm excited for more of our friends to kind of get orange filled and join us. But until then, Bitcoiners, follow me at CK underscore Snarks, follow Bitcoin Magazine at Bitcoin Magazine. Keep stacking stats and yeah, don't stop believing. Peace. Mm-hmm.